All right, this week on the Dragzine Podcast, I've decided to subject myself to even more punishment by having Lyle Barnett and Jamie Farmer on the phone at the same time, on the call. These guys are definitely not wallflowers. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, what's going on, gentlemen? It's, uh, it's, it's 6 in the afternoon here. Well, 6.10 now since Jamie couldn't manage to get on the call at the right time. And, uh, and, and I'm, on the, I'm on the piss, as they call it. Oh, boy. Jamie, what's up down under? It's like, what, Tuesday there or something? Yeah, Tuesday, 9, 9 10 in the morning. So we're a little bit ahead of you guys in a lot of ways too. <laughs> and, and this is what I was referencing, folks. It's not going to be a boring show at all. So you better pull those belts extra tight because it's going to be fun. It's going to be real. And we like to be uh, very polite on the show as well. And since Jamie is our guest from another country, we'll uh, – we're just going to jump right into it and have a lot of fun and kick off here. You know, the, the thing I'm, I've always been fascinated by Australian drag racing and I'm sure Lyle's seen some of the wild stuff they do down there too. You know, this whole global pandemic thing, how's it impacting your guys' season so far? You know, have you been able to do any kind of racing at all? You know, what, what's going on? Not, not a lot of, um, I've taken my new 235 car out. It's a it's an SN95 with a with a big block Chevy with twin 88. So I've only had the chance to take it out once because our tracks have they've been closed. And then when they were open, you know, you, you had to book online. It's just been a nightmare. Our borders were closed, so we couldn't travel. Um, so drag racing in Australia in in the last sort of eight months has come to a standstill, and it's only just taken off now. And it's um, it's starting to really boom. That's awesome that you guys are starting to kind of get around to it. You know, we, you're feeling the pain that we felt at the start of this year, right, Lyle? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it definitely, the racing, the racing slowed down. Uh, in fact, came to it, came to a halt there for a minute. Schedules got altered. People were scheduling on top of each other, trying to make up for it later in the year. You know, it really turned into a, a bit of a disaster. Um, but there, here towards the end of the year, it was still sporadic. You know, some tracks allowed spectators, some didn't, some were limited, some weren't. Some caused issues for others. You know, it, it kind of was a pissing match there for a little while to see who could screw it up the worst for the next guy. But, um, you know, the, the racing slowed down but never really stopped. Um, you know, and then for us as a business, you know, the performance aftermarket never stopped at all, at least for us it didn't. Um, yeah. You know, we, we're having trouble getting parts uh, at this point. You know, it's late in the year. Everybody's wanting to freshen motors, and it's becoming more difficult to get parts. But uh, overall, the, our, our business, you know, stayed pretty steady. I don't know how, how you did, Jamie, over there, but we, we never really slowed down. Uh, it's, it's gone crazy. It's, it's um, uh, for the climate we've we're, we're been in, the whole world's been in, it's, it's been the busiest we've ever been. And, um, we've got the same problem. We, we, we make a lot of stuff out of raw materials. So I figured it's a nightmare getting uh, raw materials and, and we do our hoops. We do hoops. Uh, sorry, we do wheels, which are, uh, which is a big part of our business now. And then, and the biggest problem we're finding there is we, um, our manufacturers or our supply lines, they can't keep up with us. And, yeah. and um, it's starting to force change our business um, somewhat that, we're going to now start uh, bringing a lot of stuff back in house, like the manufacturing, the hoops, anodizing, um, and also polishing. Yeah. You know, that's crazy that the drag racing world and the performance racing world in general is like that you see these problems globally because of just like, it's crazy how it's all connected and it's happening everywhere because of just 
these major disruptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and for Jamie, we don't at HED and even at Customs by Biggin, we don't really manufacture any parts. We just kind of screw them together, you know. So it's down the line for us where we're hurting, you know, and it's starting to hurt us now because everybody's ran out of their stock of crankshafts and rods and pistons and whatnot, you know. So now we're feeling the effects because people like Jamie are feeling the effects. You know, Jamie gets raw material and makes a product, sends it to, I don't, let's just say me, and then I sell it. Well, if he can't get it, then I damn sure can't get it. You know, so, um, and it's, so it's, we're starting, we're hurting. We're, where we were three to two to three to four weeks on a crankshaft, you're hearing things like six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. You know, I mean, I've got stuff that won't be here till late January, you know, so it's, it's starting to hurt. Hmm. And, you know, Jamie mentioned that he, he's got a new car. We'll, we'll hit up on that in a second. But, Lyle, you, you know, I guess, you know, you kind of got into a new car yourself, you know, that, that goes hella fast. You know, how, how did you, you know, how did your whole Pro Mod program, how did that, how did that come about? It happened really fast. Uh, Justin Elks, that owns Modern Racing here in Mooresville, North Carolina, uh, handles, you know, pretty much handles all pro mod operations for elite motorsports owned by Richard Freeman, where you see the names like Erica Enders and Jake Coughlin and Alex Laughlin all drive pro stock for elite. Um, and that's all operated out of Winniewood, Oklahoma, but pro mod operations are here in Mooresville. Um, and I frequented the shop. I had a friend that worked there and would go by to get parts and whatnot and hang out. And literally just in conversation one day, we started talking about them needing a driver for the pro mod. Uh, a week later, I was sitting in a conference room with Richard Freeman and, and Wes Buck and Erica, and we struck a deal about a week and a half later. And I just got back from my first test session uh, in the car this past Thursday. Um, so it happened. This all happened in late November, mid-November, um, and we are now uh, scheduling our next test session and getting ready for the 2020 NHR or 2021 nhra pro mod season so it happened (laughs) it was a blur wow that's you know for for how a lot of deals go that's definitely a ridiculously quick but it's interesting to see that you you kind of made that jump like that yeah and you know you got a new toy to play with now jamie uh what's uh what's up with your new uh your new uh fox or your new uh mustang Oh, well, I've had this Mustang in Australia for probably about, um, oh, looking about 12 years. Oh. It was actually the first seven-second radial car in Australia back in 2009. Um, and what's happened, the, uh, the cars are getting built out here at the moment and guys buying cars, they're, they're big, big hidden cars, you know, stuff you sort of see running in the, you know, the, the mid-threes, high-threes sort of thing. And I just haven't got the time, the budget or the, the knowledge to be able to... Um, to, to match with those guys, so I've um, brought my car back to um, uh, to a two thirty five where I can um, probably do it a lot easier without um, you know spending so much money and so much time because our business is just going crazy at the moment, and I just got to you know it's I've got to focus on it rather than the, than the you know the racing. Yeah, because we both we, we all know that you know working on a race car is just you know that, that's barely anything. It's just a side job kind of deal, right? Yeah. It used to be like that. <laughs> to be competitive, you've got to have a second full-time job to keep up these days. So you're rolling yeah. on a 235 radial, Jamie? Sorry? Did I? You said uh, it's yeah, rolling? I did a, I, yeah, on a 235. And we, we went back out, and it's, it, it went faster. Uh, we had a few issues, things like um, 
the coils were blowing um, fuses and stuff. So we, we couldn't put much uh, dwell in the coils and, and I had the wrong plugs in it. I just had a set of plugs in it. Cause it was rushed, we went to the track. I had a set of plugs that were just filling up the holes. I just standard plugs. And anyway, the car was only, um, it was only running to about, uh, probably about 300 feet and shutting off. And I was near going, uh, near, nearly PBs at shutting off 300 feet. So, um, but years ago when I did race the car, I was running back then on the 325 radial which a lot of people wouldn't even know that they, you know, Mickey Thompson did at the time, but uh, well, pretty average to be honest, but, um, but that's what we raced on. And for that car, it should go, it, it should go in the mid fours, no problem um, on a, on a 235. And the good thing about it, um, just getting, um, change the subject a little bit. Our cars don't seem to go as quick down here as they do um, because we haven't got the tracks, but, What's really happened now, the Australian tracks, they just rebuilt Sydney and it's meant to be something crazy. Within 400 metres, the track was, is within an eighth, uh, sorry, a, a sixteenth of an inch. It's just something mind-blowing, the best track in the world. Um, so they're getting, their, um, they're getting their stuff together. Willow Bank, which is my local track, they're starting to really learn with you know, radial prep and they're getting it together. So you're going to start seeing in Australia now the, the, the cars um, running much faster and, and getting close to what you guys are running in America. See, now that, that's interesting because I've heard that before that from you guys and others that the big difference between Australia and America is, is definitely it's the prep on the, in the track surfaces. You know, going to you off of that question, Lyle, you know, what's it like for a driver and tuner when you have to deal with tracks here in America that aren't consistent? Is that something you guys plant? Like, do you have some, some tunes in the bank that are ready for that? Or do you just kind of roll with what you got when you get there? Yeah, I mean, you really don't have a choice. It's kind of forced upon you as a, as a tuner or a tuner-driver combination to have a plethora of tune-ups because you don't always get the same racetrack. Um, if you're going to a track prep by – Tyler Crossnow or Jimmy Bradshaw or Wade or uh, Jerry Hall or any of these guys up and down the East Coast, um, good Lord, Jason Miller, you know, any of those guys, then you can about bank on throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it, you know. But some of these tracks, which I'm okay with, you go to and you're not able to use that tune-up, you know. And, and I think that, you know, in a sense, that really stellar track prep is <clears throat> has killed – is the final nail and it'll take a while to drive it in but it is the final nail in the radial coffin because what you've done is you've you've eliminated the lower budget guys who just have something you know a good combination that's good and ironed out but maybe not necessarily as high end of a combination combination as you see rolled through the gates of south georgia you know it, at this point whoever spent the most money uh is going to go the fastest i mean that's just the way it is you know and and, and that's track prep track prep is to blame um if you take away some of that track prep and put tuning put make it up to the tuner you know and then also give the driver something to drive you know then it it makes it a little more entertaining i think um for us now on the other side the fans have gotten so used to seeing these stellar numbers pop up on the scoreboard that that's what they expect so you know at the end of the day we're in the entertainment business you know we're, we're there to put on a show and if they're not you know posting these mid three second, 350, you know, if Radio Versus World didn't run in 350s, then they've came to a, a less than average show, you know, and, and I think in, in Australia, you know, that, that they just didn't have, like Jamie said, they just did not have the track prep. They had the horsepower, 
you know, but they just didn't have the track prep. You started seeing some American influence over there it's from track prep. Tyler Crossnow was traveling over there. Um, yeah. Some of the Australian guys were buying American cars, you know, and, and not to say we made more horsepower, but we could use more horsepower in America than they could use in Australia. So there was no need for them to build cars that made 4,000 horsepower. You know, they, they, you couldn't use it, you know. Well, now you've got some American influence over there on the track prep side. Now they're starting to be able to use some of this, you know, and they're buying some of our cars and, and going over there. And, um, you know, y'all have seen some three-second time slips come up over there. And, you know, and it's not, I'm not saying it's all because of us. But it was, you know, they used some of what we had started over here, adapted it over there. And, you know, and now they're, I hate, I don't think necessarily they're headed down the same road. But at some point, Jamie's going to say, yeah, you know, you were right. Um, five, maybe five years from now, it was a tuner's game until the track prep stepped up over here. And now it's just a matter of horsepower. You know, it's a horsepower shootout is what it ends up turning into. What, you know, what's your take on that, Jamie? Do you agree with that? You know, uh, you... He's, he's, he's absolutely right. Um, you know, some of the cars out here are top, top level, you know, um, cars out of America. Um, Proline are, you know, supporting a lot of um, teams out here with engines and tune-ups. And uh, it's not uncommon to see, you know, a Noonan Hemi in a, in a car here. And, but he's, he's dead right. I mean, it was a tuner's game. Um, and it is slowly, it is slowly um, changing, but... Um, we got a little way, I think, before we're, we're going to see tracks like at, uh, at Ducks Race, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if you look at it on a time scale, they are track prep and, and the ETs you're seeing there, they're about five, five to seven years behind, you know, and not because they're not smart, you know, it's just because it, it has taken the track prep that much longer to become a thing there, you know, and, and I think it's why you're seeing a flip and we're going, you're starting to see this shift to no prep, you know, and you're starting to see this huge shift to the pro modified stuff here. And it's because people, you know, and not necessarily like me, but some people like me are just tired of spending every last dollar, you know, to try to go fast. Instead, you go back, you build a beer money like Mustang with 28s and a boosted LS, and you're right in the hunt for these $10,000, $20,000 pots that they're paying at these no prep races now. And you just don't have to, you don't have to lean on your stuff so hard to compete. You know, in, in radial racing, you have to get every last ounce of horsepower out of it and put it to the track to win. You know, in the no prep stuff, you dial them way back, run them super safe. Uh, you don't watch the tractor go up and down the track for hours and hours on end. The race is over in just a few hours. You know, there's a, a lot of benefit to taking some of that track prep away. You know, that isn't what they want to hear in Australia because they're just now starting to get it and everybody wants to go fast. But there's a negative side to this just super sticky killer track prep. Well, you know, kind of going off of that, I've all, like even before I started doing this media gig full time, I stumbled upon some drag racing YouTube channels that were strictly out of Australia. And I fell in love with the absolute insanity that goes on down there. Yeah. Just the builds and the cars are so cool and different than what we see. And I mean, you could go look on Dragzine at the articles I've written. I, I, I've watched these channels for these different builds. Now, Jamie, I guess you've been to both sides. You know, what, what are some of the big differences in the racing scenes between Australia and the United States that your average drag racing fan might not necessarily realize as far as the cars, the combos, you know, the style of racing, you know, what makes what you guys do so cool? 
Well, generally, a lot of our cars are all four doors. Um, so it's very, very common to see four doors. And, you know, there's a lot of sayings around that. Probably can't, you know, repeat here. But um, Lyle <laughs> <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, we, you know, it's, and drag racing in Australia is really, really big. Motorsport in general is really, really big. Um, and we're, we're kind of, we're very, very similar in a lot of ways with, with the Americans. We're, we're really no different. Um, and the world's so small these days in, in the fact that, you know, everyone's on social media. Lyle's got a lot of friends down here. Um, I've got a lot of friends in America. And it's just, Australia is almost just like another state of America in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, I mean, you don't see a lot of, a lot of difference uh, in Australia compared to America, to be honest. Well, like I said, it, for me, it's it's the cars and like some of the different stuff you see racing. Like I was watching a video the other day. It was like a, it was like a funny car versus a door car. What almost looked like a bracket race. And I, I was trying to figure out what was going on in this situation. But again, it was just it's cool to see the different builds that you guys do down there and just like just the the whole attitude on you will build anything to go fast. Oh, absolutely. And um, I guess that comes down to the fact that we we haven't got the population like you guys have. And so we mix a lot of cars in uh, classes together, you know, um, you know, you, basically we, like any, any form of race and you, you don't want to outlaw cars. Um, you know, you want to get as many cars as you can running. So therefore you've got to have, you know, you know, limit the rules. So you don't outlaw any cars. Yeah. I think that's, there's a certain part of American racing culture that needs to kind of pick up on that and stop, you know, writing cars out of the rule books because it offends certain people, especially in heads up racing, because as long as it's not like a complete outlier, to me, heads up racing is run what you brung and hope you brung enough for that class. Well, the problem, yeah. the problem is that, <clears throat> again, going back to really, it revolves around the track prep in, in a sense. The problem is there are so many heads up racers, you know, in America and, and, and they all operate on different budgets. You know, like some people can afford unlimited all out two of everything, got a spare, got a transfer truck and a 56 foot trailer. You know, they've got it all. And some guys roll in on a, on an open trailer and everybody wants to heads up race, you know, well, then you're forced to split these classes up and make these, all these different classes where this rule fits this car and this rule fits that car you know, and, and that's, it's just the way it is, you know, and, and it's because nobody wants to, well, I'm not going to say nobody, but not everybody wants to bracket race. Everybody wants to heads up race. Well, in order to do that, you have to split them up. You got to put these cars in this, in this class and those cars in that class. And then you end up with 10 or 15 classes at one race. And the flip, the downside to that is you never freaking finish. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a mess, but to, real quick to go back to what we were talking about earlier, something else that has had some strong influence over there and like Jamie said, we're all connected by social media is the ability to, to have a tuner tune your car. That's not at the racetrack, you know? And, and that's another thing that, that sped them up over there is, and again, it's not because they're dumb or not as smart as us, but we just, the track prep and stuff came around here so fast and there were tuners who were having to adapt to that. And it's just now becoming popular over there. And as opposed to flying your Pete Harrell's and your Jamie Miller's and your Steve Petty's and your Justin Elks, instead of flying them to Australia, you just get them to team view in, you know, you, they come back from a pass, you hook their computer up, 
uh, Jamie Miller will sit here at his house, uh, team view in, look at a data log, put a tune up in the car and never step foot in the country, you know? And that's, again, is something that sped the process up over there and kind of got them up to speed. And he's right. With these tracks coming around over there, it's not going to be long and they're going to be running just as fast as we are here over there, you know? And it's technology, <laughs> 100% is, is technology. So, Jamie, you know, what, what do you think, what's going to be the next big thing in Australian drag racing? Is it going to be more of the, the radio stuff coming up, the 235 stuff? You know, what's, uh, what's big? What's going on down there? Well, what happens is um, you, you find a lot of guys, they, they fall back in the classes because they can't compete. They haven't got the budget and so forth. So you find the lesser classes become more popular, like the 235s and like even now, 275 down here. Um, we've got guys on average tracks going for, you know, 14s, 420s, you know, and there's a lot of big cars, um, a lot of big cars, uh, uh, which were in 315 are dropping back to 275 now, and they're going to be, but we're going to see, a free, I, I, I've got no doubt we're going to see a three-second pass on a 275 next year in, in Australia. Um, so some of our radial events, we've got different classes where they'll basically have an index, um, and they're really popular. And very, very rarely the fastest car wins out here because, like Lyle said, you've got to tune around the track. Um, we, we can't tune for all our horsepower. We just, we just can't do that. Um, I mean, everybody, everybody these, these days are making 13, 1500 horsepower on a, on a standard motor, um, LS motor. Oh, sorry, not, not standard, but, you know, just a, just a mild motor, which doesn't take much. Um, you know, just things these days, you know, guys with the, you know, the tuning, suspension uh we've learned so much um and we're getting you know mediocre engines to to hold together now so um you know you don't have to spend a million dollars on say an ls or even a barrier out here to to go out and run in the in one of the index classes on radials which is one of them's a, a 550 to the, to the eights you know and, then, and that's that class is really popular that's you hit on something one of the interesting things that i like too is what you guys do with non v8 engines down there to me in these cars like they look so unassuming and then they rip off a nine second pass and like i'll watch these videos I'm like that does not look like a nine second car yeah no uh these barriers out here they're, they're kind of like the ls's in america there a couple of years back where you'll pick them up for well we can pick them up a barrel for you know anywhere from 100 bucks to 200 dollars and um and they're, they're just a killer engine they're four liter inline six with a uh twin cam and i've actually um just speaking on the barrel I've, I've got a car sitting over at brutal over in um, north carolina a uh, little cobra a3 um which i wanted to run in limited 235 over there and, and the engine of choice obviously is an inline six because they obviously the, the guys who wrote the rules for that class i probably shouldn't say too much here but anyway, it doesn't matter say you better watch um, out <laughs> <laughs> yeah they haven't they haven't accommodated the, the weight brakes for uh, an inline six um so an inline six i think from memory it was like 50 pound lighter than a than a v6 and like these uh these inline barrow motors i'll flog any v6 getting around right oh and people seem to forget ryan Milliken when he put that diesel nova out in x275 people laughed at him they're like oh that's a joke it's a diesel and then he started figuring it out it's like oh that car's pretty quick Right. And then he goes out there and drops the absolute hammer. And all of a sudden, John Sears is scratching his head going, oh, this isn't good. 
because right. it's it, it, you get smart people that know that combo. And I've said this for a while that six bangers in heads up racing are the least utilized combination out there. Yep. End of discussion. Yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, I mean, yeah. Going I said, you know, just just nobody does it, you know, and it and it, it, if a little Australian influence because that's something where they could they could benefit and, and even come over here and, and, and wipe them up for a little bit is their knowledge with that style engine. I mean, there's plenty of people over here who are familiar with it, but none of them dick around with, with our heads up radial stuff, you know? So somebody like Jamie coming over here with, I mean, just a, a boatload of knowledge previous, you know, and applying that to the 235 class here would probably, would probably do pretty well for a little while. Now, obviously, they're going to make parity rule adjustments and, and, you know, and they'll bring him back down uh, after a few races. But you could clean house for a little bit if you brought a little knowledge over here. Yeah, I mean, these barrier engines here, I mean, every, they are so common here and everyone's racing and everybody's making big horsepower. And, and as you know, for a turbo engine, you put a you know, the, the limited turbo, you put it on a smaller engine, well, you, you know, you're going to get better efficiency, so you're going to make more power there. Plus, you've got the weight brakes. And as, and as we all know, it's not really the engine that makes the, the, the power, it's the, it's the turbo, and it's how efficient you can make that turbo. Well, look, you know, it reminds me, too, of, uh, you know, what was it, five, ten years ago, what the guys did in Outlaw 10.5 over the Middle East with that V6 car and that Corvette that they basically took a Proline engine and chopped the front half of it off yeah. and Went v and all of a sudden those uh, those all ten five rules got adjusted in a hurry because of that car. Yeah, but yep. the downside the downside to that is that you know you took a you took an unlimited budget, you took somebody like Steve Petty and Alan Johnson and put their heads together and they literally created a V six Hemi. You know, all you're right. All they did was take the front two cylinder or the rear two, whichever way you want to look at it. They took two cylinders off of a Hemi and made a V six Hemi out of it. You know. The downside to that is you've got somebody like, you know, let's just say Jamie and I wanted to run a, a V6 in Outlaw 10.5, and we don't have the budget to buy one of these one-off V6, V6 Hemis. We've just got something standard that you've heard of before. Well, now a, a combination like that has hurt us, you know, because they went all out on the budget, you know, and, and have ruined the rules for the rest of the guys that w could potentially come into the class and run with a V6. Well, now those guys just aren't going to come, you know, so there are repercussions and there are negatives to all of that. You know, there, there would be a negative to Jamie coming over here and running the Barry engine in 235 with an inline six, only because he would know more about it. They would make rules around Jamie and it would hurt everybody else that was ever thinking about bringing that combo in. So, there's always two sides to it. You know, there, there's really, there's no good. I, I do not envy or at all John Sears and what he has to deal with, with different combinations and different rule sets. Cause there's always somebody looking into the gray area and going to screw it up for everybody else. Well, look, look at the guys, you know, in the factory supercar stuff in the NHRA, you know, they, they went in and that class got smashed unfortunately with yeah. the copos and the cobra jets and the in the hemi cars because some very smart people were given a pile of cash and they said i want this car to go faster than what it's supposed to mm -hmm. and meanwhile you know the manufacturers are saying hey guys let's not let's not shake a tail feather and let's not get too crazy and then bam you get this stuff where whole teams are dropping out of pro stock out of that class you know they're like you know what 
I'm kind of done with this Cobra Jet stuff because I just dumped a whole bunch of money in this combo. On the flip side, you're also seeing pro stock teams, you know, like Vincent Nobile and those guys give up pro stock and drop down to the factory stock showdown, you know, and that's, and they're the ones that are willing to go spend, you know, I don't know, 120, 125 on a new Copo, let's just say. And then you literally jerk the motor out of it and spend another 100 or 125 on just the engine. The next thing you know, you got a quarter million dollars in a factory stock showdown car. Like, what? And it ruins it for everybody else. You know, now it takes 300,000 to to have a competitive factory stock showdown car, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it's like comp, you can do about it. it. It's like comp eliminator, which I love watching the NHRA comp eliminator racing because I always say that's the rocket scientists of drag racing. They grab the rule book and they're like, what strange combination yeah. could I make go fast? And, you know, Jamie could go through and start selling Barra engines here in the United States and go make, make a killing on that because I'm sure that there's some little loopholes with that engine to pop in. I guarantee it. Yeah. Well, I mean, just just off topic or change the topic a little bit. We um, we tried to get a barrier in for horsepower wars this year. Um, obviously, we, we couldn't travel because of the the pandemic, but we uh, we were trying to get a barrier in for uh, horsepower wars. And you know, I contacted Lonnie and seeing how much weight he'd give me for for a, you know a pissy little old four, uh, six cylinder inline production engine. And yeah, he. Trouble is, Lonnie, he knows, he knows a fair bit, and he didn't. Uh, he gave me a little bit of a discount, but it was worth definitely worth taking it. Right. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, for the no prep deal, um, you know, the the, the lower bottom end torque uh, of that V6, you know, it's it's perfect for that. You know, we've got a we've got a little local guy. Well, not local. He's an American. Uh, Poppy is what they call him with the Corolla. You know, he's got a little Tacoma motor in that thing, and it doesn't make a a, a bunch of power. But damn, if it doesn't get down the road every time he lets go of the button, you know, it's just a perfect combination for that. Yeah. Before we jump into the horsepower war stuff, I wanted to ask one more question of Lyle about pro mod racing, because, you know, you've won on radials, you know, you've gone fast on radials. And we kind of talked about this in the pre-call a little bit, you know, going to this pro mod and those big tires, you know, what was it like prepping for that? And then what was it like the first time you did that? Because that's a whole different angry angry vehicle to drive there's if you've never done it there's no way to prepare yourself for it you just got to go do it i was we got to the track on tuesday morning i'd been at the uh at the snowbirds since the previous friday i uh, drove doug cooks that owns motion raceworks i drove his nova in the streetcar shootout um and then just stayed over and we uh, were there to test the pro mod tuesday and wednesday and tuesday morning when i got to the racetrack i was ready to throw up i was so nervous um and I've been fast, you know, I've been fortunate to have been given the opportunity to driven to have driven some really fast stuff. Um, but there was nothing, nothing that you can drive to prepare you for that, you know, and, and Justin Elks, who is the owner of modern racing and my crew chief and tuner, you know, he told me, he's like, look, we can back it down some, but you know, it cost X amount for this car to go down the racetrack every time. And pretty much every time it goes down the racetrack, it needs to count. In other words, we need to be getting valuable data um, we can't just go to be going, you know, so, and I told you before, I'd been, I've been 104 to the 60 foot prior to getting in that pro mod. And the first time I let go of the button, it went 977. Um, you know, I mean, it's literally just turn your eyeballs inside out is what it felt like, you know, and we, so we took it, I took it 200 feet or hundred to 200. I took it to the 330. Then we went eighth mile and then I went thousand feet, uh, two or three times. And then on the eighth and ninth pass, we went quarter mile. 
Um, and the fastest I went to the 60 foot was into the 940s. I'm not going to say exactly what it was. Uh, went bottom 370s to, uh, to the eighth mile, and it went deep into the fives um, at over 250 to the quarter. Um, and there's just, there's nothing to prepare you for that. There's nothing to prepare you for the acceleration and how fast you cover that last eighth mile. There is definitely nothing to prepare you for when the parachutes hit at 250 miles an hour. I mean, it literally, I felt like I did, I picked my eyeballs up off the floorboard the first time I did it. You know I mean? You throw them going through the mile an hour cone and they hit just past the finish line. It feels like somebody double foot drop kicked you in the back, man. It's freaking wild. But, um, overall it was a very successful first test session. Um, everybody was happy. Uh, we're going to go back and, uh, they added a new rule the day after we got back, they added NHRA changed the rule book. Uh, we can no longer have the cars automatically shifted. Uh, in other words, it can't be shifted by an air pneumatic or, a, or an electrical solenoid. We have to shift them by hand. Somehow there has to be some kind of driver input. Um, so today I was at modern, uh, getting, figuring out where we wanted to put the shift light uh, and then whether I was going to try to shift it with a button or uh, pushing the shifter by hand. Cause we do run a, a turbo 400 in that car. So um, got some, something new to add to the, to the, uh, to the arsenal there that I'm going to have to learn. But uh, overall my first, my first test session in a pro mod went pretty well. You say it sounds like you had a good time, you know, just, oh. you know, whipping a 250 mile an hour door car down the track you know, Jamie, what's the most bananas thing you've ever driven? Um, most of my stuff's all been streetcar, so probably my SM95 is probably the fastest seven-second sort of deal. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty well that's that's my limit. Yeah, you're like I'm good. I'm good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh it's just I mean, you know, to step it up, just the expense is just crazy, you know. And and um, best part about it, I know my limits. Yeah, it, it's budgetary as well as just what you feel comfortable driving because I know some guys that have the budget to go really fast and they've stepped back and said, you know what, this isn't fun. It's too much. I yeah. want to be able to enjoy the ride a little bit more rather than trying to concentrate on not dying as I'm going down the track. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, I just I just got lucky and, and joined, you know, and was asked to join a, a good team. You know, Richard Freeman's has assembled a – you know, a really a dynasty out there at Elite Motorsports, um, you know, and I was just lucky enough to be chosen to come on board, you know, as a hired gun, uh, essentially. So, you know, it's not something that, you know, me, my dad or any and all my closest friends combined could pile money up and, and, and afford on our own. Um, so we uh, we just joined a, a really good team and I'm just, you know, thankful to to have been chosen kind of shifting gears here this is the part that I was really kind of looking forward to is talking horsepower wars with you guys because for me the show like where it started where it's been where it's gone and just seeing everything that I get to see is like the, the essentially I'm a fly on the wall and I get to see how everything unfolds and it's interesting to see how it unfolds and then how we end up having to tell the story and portray it and then hearing all the extra stuff and one of the things that always entertains me is the car selection portion of it because the teams do get to see the cars beforehand so they can kind of game plan a little bit. But there's a lot of gamesmanship that even goes into the, to the car selection process. You know, for you guys, you know, we'll start with you, Lyle. What, what was it like for Team Big in the first time you guys had to select the car? 
well, I mean, we didn't even know what to expect. You know, like we rolled into horsepower war season one and had no idea what, what we were in for, how the selection process was going to go down, you know, and then we have the Olympics and, and we ended up winning, you know, and that year we got to keep the car that we chose. Um, there were more to choose from and we were able to keep the car that we chose, uh, which, you know, now is, is my beloved beer money. Nice shirt you got on there. Um, but, uh, you know, in year two, when we were, came back uh, to defend our title, um, we won the Olympics again, and we did not get to keep the car that we chose, or the truck, should I say. Um, they gave us, a, gave us a, little, a little twister in there and gave us the, uh, the Granada station wagon that we call the Moonshine Missile. Um, so knew what to expect the second year. Did not prepare for it in any way, shape, or form. Came right back uh, that morning hungover again. Um, but uh, knew what to expect the second year and the same result. So um, I don't know if Jamie – I don't know that Jamie and them really necessarily were ready for what came at them. They definitely didn't do any physical fitness or training before they got there. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Yeah, Jamie, walk, walk, <laughs> walk us through that whole process because, again, the uh, – the, the thing I find entertaining about the Olympic side, side of things and being there is that uh, the camera doesn't do any justice how big of a man you are, Jamie, or the guys in your team are. There's how big that, Nathan Clark is. Yeah, I mean, did, did, you guys have, did you guys have to get, like, some type of, like, special, like, waiver to bring him into the country? Was that, they like, livestock? They put him livestock? in a cage and put him, yeah. in, put him underneath the plane. Yeah, how'd that work? Yeah. But, yeah. Nathan's I mean, shoulders are about two pick handles wide. He's, he's huge. He's, <laughs> but, um, well, we, we, we came over. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an insight how what we did for or how we prepared for Horsepower Wars. We watched season one, or well, I watched season one over and over, and I was just trying to get any sort of clues what was going on. And, obviously, I looked at the Biggins team because they're by far the, you know, they were out in front. So, when we went to season two, that's who we had to beat. Uh, we knew we had to beat them, um, and that's not giving anything away on the other on the other teams. They were, they were very very good, but Biggin's team had experience, and that's what we that's what we we saw we had to beat. Um, so we, the preparation we did was unbelievable. Um, well, what what I did, I had spreadsheet after spreadsheet, and it didn't really worry me what car we got because I had um, I had um, you know. The, the whole recipe set out for every every single car. We didn't really want the Camaro because it was so much work, but the Camaro was potentially the fastest car. But um, but yeah, like I say, when we when we went to season two, we you know big and that team they had a they had a target on their back. So and again, it's interesting that you you mentioned kind of going after and using them as the formula. And it plays to me into the to the engine selection is you know the LS platform has dominated so far the turbo LS platform you know why do you think that is I mean you know the 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 big block Chevy nitrous combo almost just almost pulled it off but you know with the turbo LS you know is it work well on horsepower wars because of the 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 cubic bang per dollar budget it's totally budget we wanted we wanted to go big block nitrous but we could not make the budget work um we couldn't we couldn't come close we we kept on falling short about fifteen hundred dollars to and 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 a big block a big block nitrous um given the weights um very very hard to beat mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, and and per dollar, he's right. You know, the, the LS is the cheapest thing per horsepower is the cheapest thing you can build by far. You know, like it just it just makes the power. You know, and we were we were a rebuilt transmission away from winning it again. You know, I mean, we 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 came back home, rebuilt the transmission, and I'm you know people can say, ah, oh, bullshit, you pulled some weight out. Biggin is another thirty pounds heavier than me, probably. He drove the car in the exact same trim it was in when we left Georgia, and it went five twenty. You know, and literally all we did was just rebuild the transmission. You know, and so he's right. If, if you could figure it out in the budget, you know, and we did, there were some things that we wish we, obviously we wish we'd have had enough to have built a better transmission and it would have been a different outcome, but um, it is the most horsepower you can build per the weight. He's right. You know, but it is the hardest thing to build under the budget by far. And again, it always cracks me up. And I, I always mention this is that the, when we, when we do the application process, or you, you see the guys on Facebook that are, they're, they're, they're the experts on the internet. Everybody thinks this is so easy to do. And it's like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got to play until you get punched in the face. This isn't just a simply like, you're not hanging parts. You're no. just not ordering stuff from Summit. You've got to know how to put the stuff together and make it work. Right. Well, J Jamie will agree. The $10,000 shootout, those 10 days are like being punched in the face repeatedly. You know, like yeah, every morning you wake up and Mike Tyson just right hooks you right in the mouth. You know, like it yeah. is not easy. And I'll be the first one to tell you, we've done it twice. We've won it the first year. Um, and Jamie and them have done it once and they want it. Like it's, it is by far one of the harder, one of the toughest 10 days in a race shop I've ever had. Yeah. Nothing, nothing goes right. Every no. day has got its challenges. Um, nothing goes right. We, we prepared, and, and you know what? It's, uh, knowing what I know now would be better next time. Yep. Um, but I'll I give you an example of the, the extent we went to it with a planning, not only up front, but we came back and we built a sister engine and put in my, um, in my drag week car. Um, and we were making uh, around about 1,020 horsepower. So we'd done a lot of testing, although um we didn't actually produce the numbers over there we expected to be running we thought we could run 525 we, we had enough data to run 525 but but it, it didn't happen we, i mean we we had enough on the day to, to make it happen um and and like lyle said you know they were, they were only a you know a, a smidgen away from pulling it off and that's a, and that's all it is i mean look out look how close the last race was one one thousandth of a second so if i you know um, and, and I'll just run through the race. I mean, I, I knew I had to be sharp to beat Lyle. All the races leading up, I wasn't trying to cut lights or anything like that. And the chassis is a little bit slow. And, you know, I'd been practicing in the, in the, in the van, you know, on the, on the lights and, you know, to, to sharpen, to sharpen me up. And then, um, yes, yeah, so I was cutting pretty good numbers in the, in the van and then went out and then, um, I, um, did I smoke you Lyle off the lights? I think I did, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, I was, I was, uh, like one, one fourteen, and he was one oh something, you know. And and again, yeah. like I could have, he could have made it really bad had he cut a good light, and I could have won if I would have cut a decent light. But after I rolled through and did the burnout, I didn't have a trans break, <laughs> so I foot braked yeah. it and held the RP. It still had RPM reference, but it would not hold the car. So I was foot braking it and holding the trans brake just for RPM at the same time. And you know, it, it did the best race. To be, to be honest, I don't think those cars can react that fast. I mean, I know when I nail a light, and 
that uh, around a 100 light on that car was pretty well, I would say it's probably the limit to get it, to get it moving. Um, you know, I, I, I staged early um, and I think I did a 108, uh, a point 108 on the, yeah, on the light. Like and, yeah, and, and, but I mean, I, I beat Lyle to the 60 foot and then next thing you know, I'm thinking, I looked over and I thought, shit, this bastard's next to me. He, and he pulled, in second gear, he pulled, um, pulled a guard on me. And I thought, shit, I'm in trouble here. But I knew I had the legs in, on, in top gear. So mm. as soon as I pulled top gear, I just 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 put my nose in front. And that's how close it was. But yeah, it was, came. We were pretty up, much, up, up, we were pretty much dead was, even at the mile an hour cone. You know, like when I looked over, I was like, I have no idea. And from the mile an hour cone to the finish line, he just boop, poked it out there and he yeah. got it, you know. But yeah, he was, he was half a car. He was half a car for most of the track. And I just knew I had that little top end charge. And, and yeah. I... And yeah, so it's basically when I put it in top gear, and that's when I yeah just nose past it. But it was a close race, awesome race, so much fun. Way be way better than season one when we donkey gapped uh, Big Daddy Dwayne Gutridge by a couple Greyhound buses. So at least it gave the fans something to watch. Man, Lyle, yeah. you're you're lucky. Assault charges weren't pressed against you for that beating. That oh, was, I know. You know, that... you know, and and he's still he's still so salty about it. You know, he's basically doesn't show his face at at, at a drag strip anymore. You know, and, and and I'm, I'll make a I'll make a deal now with with little Dwayne that if he'll come back to the drag strip, I'll I'll shake his hand or give him a hug or something. I don't want it. I don't want him to stay hiding for the rest of his life. You know, I mean, I got I got beat by a bunch of honkies from Australia, and I still, even though I even though I'd like to kick Jamie in his balls, uh, I I'll, I'll still get on the podcast with him and shoot the shit. You know, so and and that's what to me has made parts of the show so entertaining is the the interaction and the trash talking that goes on between everybody is it, it can get a little bit tense at times but it's still it's fun because you all are like your brothers in arms and embracing the suck at that thing because like I said those 10 days are just you got to find some way to entertain yourself at some point to have a little yeah. bit of a smile. A lot of the ways that we entertained ourselves with this right here, you know, you just, you, all you did was cheer on uh, five or eight o'clock or whatever it was when we got out of there and everybody went home and hit the piss. So, um, yeah. And, 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 you know, on the flip side, I see that Jamie hasn't lost a whole lot of weight since the last time I saw him. And that's because he's still been eating the burrito they stuffed in their freaking pockets during the eating competition during the show. No, that's, that's my problem. Too much of this sort of stuff. <laughs> and that, that's the other funny thing is watching some of the, uh, some of the rule shenanigans that people try to pull. And it's sort of like, you know, if you look at kids – the oldest is usually able to get away with the most. So the oldest season of horsepower wars, there's, you know, a lot of creative things that happen. Right. Only the guys got smart. The second season, creative things happen, but y'all got smarter in some aspects and were able to outsmart the Fox. This third season, man, those poor boys, they just, uh, Lonnie's Lonnie's a brutal man. When he when he brings someone out and calls him in front of the school to lay the smack down, it's you feel well, bad you got, for him. You gotta know who Lonnie Grimm if if you come into horsepower wars and don't know who Lonnie Grimm is, then you're gonna get caught because Lonnie, like he's he's the know all say all in all tech departments across the board. I mean, he's a technical director for all kinds of shit, you know. So this isn't his first rodeo, you know, and we know that. 
you know, we know that the Australians did some cheating, but I'm going to tell you right now, there was nobody who cheated more blatantly than the dream team. I mean, I'm just unbelievable. Like <laughs> embarrassing, really, you know, embarrassing for comp cams, Dave Henninger. And I mean, you know, they spray painted the valves to make them look like they had carbon on them. And all it took was Lonnie Grimm as a can of brake clean and a rag. And they were freshly polished comp cams engraved freaking i mean come on man like you couldn't do any better than that i have yeah, i mean you you you, you, you got to go there and, and it's all about the rules tell you what you can do but there's a whole things the rules say what you can't do right uh you know i uh, sorry other way around the, the rules tell you what you can't do or can do but it's all about interpreting you know like um you know like you've got to devalue things i mean it's one of the things we did with our converter we got a converter um we set it on fire. It was a brand new converter, but we can't turn up with a brand new converter because we'll pay a brand new price. So we we defaced it to to get the value down, and we still paid, you know, we still paid top dollar. Well, I think I think we paid about two hundred and eighty dollars for the for the converter, uh, right. which was in which was in mind with pretty well everybody else as well. So apart from Lonnie, was very consistent. Um, I've got to say that you know, like if you turned up, everyone pretty well paid the the same price for parts you know uh, across the board being on the receiving end of a dressing down from Lonnie Grimm is not a comfortable experience I've you worked I have some thick skin I have worked on a car and we have tried to plead our case with Lonnie and he's not disrespectful but it's just like you just sit there and you're like oh this this just, it isn't going to end. And he's so nice about it. Like he just, he nicely punches you in the face and you just say, thank you. Well, I mean, I cussed Lonnie. I cussed Lonnie as bad as I've cussed anybody in a really long time. And I'll give you one of the examples is on the starting line at South Georgia, when we were having trouble getting the car to crank uh, because of our battery situation. And he told me I had to fire right now. Well, we got the car to crank. I pull in the water box and they're not done cleaning the track up. You know, so I had to shut it off because it was getting hot and back up. Well, then they tell us our run isn't going to count towards qualifying. And I got out of that car and I cussed Lonnie up one side and down the other, told him how much of a piece of shit he was on and on and on. And the next day, Lonnie hugged me and said, you feel better? I was like, yeah. yeah." <laughs> you know, like he doesn't care. He's, he's a not, he, is a, he is a world's nicest bloke. And <laughs> the worst thing about it in, in horsepower wars, you, you know, you're, everybody's lying about what they're paid for something and whatever else. And, and the worst thing about it, I'm looking Lonnie right in the eye and I'm lying to him. I thought, shit, I just, you know, I could lie to my wife much easier than I could lie to Lonnie. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's your golden ticket to hell for lying to him. <laughs> the, the, the story about what transpired on the starting line, I can 100% validate because I'm taking pictures and I hear this ruckus start. I'm fixing to think that there's a, there's a fist fight. I'm like, yeah. someone is legit about to get a mud hole stomped in them. Like yeah. it, it's one of those things where, you know, there's a fight because everybody's circling around and they're all looking. I'm like, Oh, the, like, this isn't good. I get up there. I'm like, I see Lonnie standing there. I'm like, who's about to fight Lonnie. And then I see Lyle. I'm like, Oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, but Lonnie and I are still friends. I call him, uh, periodically to talk about different things and he calls me and we're going to go duck hunting and all kind of shit. So, uh, Lonnie is 
Lonnie is, is a big punching bag the majority of his work career, I got a feeling. Uh, I haven't had any run-ins with him anywhere else because um, you're not trying to cheat like you are at Horsepower Wars. Yeah. But, uh, but I know during Horsepower Wars, that man takes some – he takes some blows, not, not literal, but verbal blows day in and day out. And he just right, – they just breeze right by. He doesn't, doesn't bother him at all. He listens. He'll stand there and nod his head. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't cuss back keeps a nice low tone. He'll smile at you, which pisses me off more when he gives you that smirk, you know, God, I just want to punch you right now. You know where, but uh, yeah. he handles it well. Congratulations. Thank you, Lonnie, for, uh, for, for not hitting me. So you guys have now been commissioned. We're going to play a little scenario here. You guys have been commissioned to write a book about, you know, horsepower wars and, you know, yada, yada, yada. You have to do a chapter on the formula to win horsepower wars. Lyle, what do you put in that chapter? Um, strategize, first of all. Uh, you, need to, you need to start thinking about this like Jamie and those guys did months before you ever show up for the show. You need to have a game plan for each and every car, um, no matter what, because you never know which one you're going to end with or end up with, should I say. Um, and the second thing you need to do is, is be really good at cheating. I mean, you know, it's just honest. I mean, you, you've got to be good at deep dodging and bobbing and weaving in the gray area, uh, figure out where you can get by with what, and always have a backup plan if your cheating doesn't work. Do not depend on getting uh, black spray-painted titanium vacuum through tech and have no backup plan. You better have another set back at the house that are not titanium, maybe a stock set that you've measured up and everything seems to be good uh, that you can bring in or whatever. You know, Jamie and them probably had a backup plan if they dinged them on the converter and wanted 500 or $800 for it. You know, always have a plan B and you better have plan C here and there because more than likely, like Jamie said, it is not going to go right the first time. Never will, never has, and you always need to have a backup plan for the backup plan. So, so Lyle's tips are have lots of plans and be really good. Cheating's an ugly word. We'll say creative rules interpretation. Whatever you want to call it. Be, a, <laughs> be better. Be a good Australian. Be a good ruse. <laughs> Jamie, what, what are the Australians putting in their chapter on how to, uh, how to win horsepower wars? Right. First thing, you've got to plan, plan, and plan. And, and, have a, and like Lyle said, have a plan A, plan B, plan C. So you've got to have that many plans. But the other biggest thing, you've got to pick a team who can build 550 cars. Generally, a 550 will win it. Yep. It's no good having all these you know, top-end top end guys because um, you know, these guys, are, and I don't want to mention any names, but you don't want guys there who blow the budget on the intake manifold. Right. So... You've got, to, you've got to have a team who, can, who, who races with shit day in, day out. Um, and I knew, we had, I knew we were a strong challenge because um, this, this is exactly the shit we race over here. So we, we, we knew what to build. So take, you know, if you're going to build a, you know, try and enter for it, build, uh, plan, plan and plan. And then build your team around guys who race with dog shit cars day in, day out. And, and, and I think to, to add on to that is, you know, you've seen in the past uh, two seasons, well, the two seasons that had a dream team, 
Uh, the team who came in there and none of them knew each other struggled the most. Uh, the, you know, you, you've got to assemble a good team. I completely agree with that. But you also – the majority of them need to have worked together before or at least know each other pretty well. You know, like for, for our team in particular, we had a good leader in Biggin who was head of FAB. We had a good leader on the engine side, Pete. And then you had a bunch of Indians underneath them. You know, I wasn't worth a shit for much of it at all, you know. Um, I can I, I managed to drive the thing decent, but Biggin was head of Fab, and he had a damn good helper in Chris Bailey. You know, Bailey did a lot of the Fab work beside Biggin, and is great at it. Pete did all of the engine work, and had Chad to help him with some of the electronic side of it. We had all the bases covered, and everything just kind of we all meshed well, and everybody knew their place and did their job. Now we still struggled, but when you when everybody doesn't get along and everybody doesn't mesh. And then you have the problems and the struggles during, during the build. It is, a, it is a complete disaster. You know, the Australians, I, I guess most of y'all knew each other pretty well. Maybe there was no, yeah, around yeah. A, little, a little bit. But overall, everybody knew their place for the most part, and everybody knew what their job was. And they, the yeah. Midwest guys probably did it better than anybody. They just struggled <laughs> the most at the racetrack. Those guys raced together with complete shit all the time, you know. Yeah. They, they're LS Turbo gurus. Everybody in the Midwest shop knew their job. Everybody did their job. They were the first ones done and probably arguably had the cleanest looking car. You know, I mean, us and y'all uh, had the most cobbled together shit at the end of it, but we just managed, we just raced better than everybody else, you know. but Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't like to come up against the Midwest guys on a no prep because mm. – um, we, but in saying that, I, I knew they weren't going to have the horsepower on that track. Right. You had to build. You had to build a um, uh, plenty of horsepower for that that track. You know, and and to go back this year, season three, we wanted to go back with a barra, and you'd only have to go a six zero on a no prep there to, to win that. And I think the quickest was a little bit slower than that. But um, you got to you got you got to know what you're building. I, I, I guess I'm trying to say you got to know what you're building. Your team has got to be rock solid. Um, everyone's got to leave their egos at home and follow the plan. Yeah, you got to you got to determine a leader before you get yep. there, and just know that at the end of the day, whatever the leader wants, whichever direction the leader wants to go, as long as it isn't just bizarre, you know, that's just kind of even if you maybe you def maybe you didn't agree, you know, like I was cool with building the big block nitrous, but I really wanted to duplicate the LS turbo and go right back to what we knew because we could go, you know, with the LS turbo in quarter mile trim with beer money, we went 551. And that was with a, you know, a quarter mile gear. And, you know, so I feel like we could have went a good bit faster than that with the LS turbo combination. You know, the rules, the only thing with that law, the rules were a little bit different. Yeah, um, they, they were a little one, stricter. Yeah, yeah, they were stricter as in um, it had to be heavier with an LS turbo yep. than the year previous. You you weren't allowed to run a, a nitrous kit on it this year. Yeah, but, that's yeah, true. You're right. Years. That's true. I didn't think about that. So they, they weren't they weren't the same car. Um, right. Yeah, and and like I say, anybody else that it, it, it's going to you know enter a side or whatever, go back to season one, go back to season two, and and study it and watch what everybody did and how they did it, um, and. Basically, that's how we beat Biggins. We we knew more about Biggins than they knew about themselves. Right. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's one thing that we did not do. I had never. I didn't research anybody that was coming up against us. Well, they all knew 
who was coming whenever they were selected. You know, we didn't really find out until later on, but we didn't – I didn't know anything about any of these guys. Honestly, we came in assuming we were going to build a rock-solid big block nitrous motor and stomp their ass. You know, yeah. we did I mean, we, we, we knew the personalities that well. We knew how to rattle Pete. Like right. Pete's, a, Pete's a class act, but he uh, he's um, he was easy to get inside his head. Um, right. And so we rattled Pete. Um, Biggins, you can't rattle him. He's he's probably like me. He's yeah. it doesn't matter what you say to him. Doesn't just laughs at you. He knows what he wants, what he's doing. Right. Um, yeah, like when and Lyle, we knew what Lyle was about. You know, Lyle turned it on if he didn't get sauce on his hot dog. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so we 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 knew everybody. We knew how to handle him. Going off of that, you know, I don't know how much you guys have watched season three. So chime in as you will. You know, what, what do you guys think of season three of what you've seen so far? We're coming down to the, uh, to the wire here, to the race deal. You know, who you guys, if, if we're in Vegas, who you slide your money on? I mean, you uh, know, I, I'll be honest, man. I, I haven't really watched much of it. Um, I've watched a little bit here and there. And what I have watched, I was not very impressed with, I guess. I don't, not really. The only people I really know from it are Jim Howe uh, and Puddin, just because they're from the radio world. They've got, you know, David Reese on the team and, and Jim's dad, you know, and, and I kind of expected them to just come in and wipe up, you know, and that just be the end of it because of, you know, their, their knowledge across the board. They've got turbo knowledge and David Reese is a freaking mastermind with a chassis. You know, I, I kind of felt like they had built an A squad there, um, you know, but uh, I just, I don't know, man. I just, maybe it's the no prep part of it or just, I don't know. I just, I really, I just wasn't that impressed personally. And, you know, and maybe I'm biased because I was a part of the first two seasons and, you know, kind of had, had some direct input there, but, you know, Jamie, I don't know how you felt about it. That was just my personal opinion. Well, we, at the start, we knew what teams were getting in and we thought we were going back before the, the COVID hit. And, um, we we knew who the, the strong team were. The strong teams was Marcus Thompson and, and Mid, Mid uh, American Customs. We we knew they they raced with dog shit stuff, and and I knew they were going to be competitive, especially you know MAK uh, Team Mac. But um, yeah, like I say, we, we we planned for for them, and I'm I'm pretty confident only because of experience, you know, the years before we we would have been very competitive again this year, but. Um, yeah, Team Mac and, and Marcus Thompson's team out of, out of Philly, they were, the, they were the two, you know, dangers. Uh, and, but in saying that, I was talking to Jim Howe. Jim Howe contacted me. And I didn't think he would have much um, for the competition. But when I spoke to him on the phone and asked him what he's doing and gave him a bit of advice, he, no, he, had, a, he had a rock-solid plan. And I thought, shit, he could, he could pull this off. I am strongly lobbying myself to have season four, you know, if we can make it happen, be the champions edition. I would, I would love to see you guys plus who wins this year. And then maybe a, a fourth team. That's just kind of a, or maybe more teams, but definitely a fourth team to kind of really mix things up. Because I think at that point, you will have a competition from front to back that is good competition and entertaining TV. Yeah. And, and I think, I think you should, I think they should have another season um, and get a fourth true winner, you know, and, and then, and not bring the winner. I mean, I know it's been kind of been the, the run of the mill here. It is to bring the winner back. Cause then you could potentially have a, the, the first uh, back to back winner, but 
maybe have another season where they don't bring a returning team back, get a fourth winner, and then have a champions reunion type race. And I really like uh, the idea of having the competition and then going straight to the racetrack. You know, let's not, let's not put it on Joe Blow's holler and have the cars burn up on the way back over. You know, let's, let's just go straight to the racetrack. And I really like the no prep stuff. Um, I think it makes it more of a, you know, you, you've just built this, this brand new hot rod and now you've also got to tune it. Whereas when you, you know, you go somewhere like South Georgia, you just throw the power in it and let it go, you know? So, and I'm also biased because we've done a lot of no prep racing here recently and, and, you know, and really kind of like it. So, or maybe marginally prep, maybe give it, maybe give teams the option to run the radio that will still work or, or stay on the slick, you know, and kind of make it a, a, a give or take there. So I, I like the idea of bringing everybody back. I will tease it up a little bit more that, you know, I, I know how everything ends, but I will say that the racing this year, like on the, the no prep surface, it's badass. Like I'm a fan of no prep and, and on the slicks like that. I mean, it's, it's some damn good racing. And I think there's something to say about as well, having a true fourth champion, but I've got, you know, all kinds of bad ideas. Cause we always try to come up with ways to, uh, throw curveballs, torture the teams and come up with different ways. And I, and I think that having that ability to have three teams and then bring another, maybe another team back that was on there before to help people push people's buttons, maybe a, a fourth team that's all stars of previous seasons, maybe a professional team, who knows? But I think it would just be interesting to see how the three winning teams react to all that, how, what you guys would do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Jamie, what do you want? What What would you want to see if if you were given the keys of the castle? Well, you know, it'd, it'd be cool, and it won't happen. It'd be cool if they they brought it out here in our backyard, um, bring the bring the teams to Australia. I mean, but that's you know that's a hugely costly, you know, uh, huge cost ex- exercise. But um, you know, to race on our tracks and our climate and our backyard, our local knowledge that'd that'd be cool. But um, no, I think Lyle's right. I mean, the trouble is now with the pandemic, um, we it's not fair for us to go back because my uh, sorry, the, the other team uh, won, and, and and you know, I think the probably the fairest way now is to have the third season, uh, sorry, the fourth season, and then all winners go back, and and I think that would make for some pretty good television. That would yeah. be. Uh, I know we'll go back a lot more, you know, plan and probably a lot more aggressive in the way we do things. And I can guarantee you, you know, Big and Lyle would be, you know, they'd go back a lot more aggressive. Uh, and everybody knows what to go back and, and to do and what to expect. So, um, yeah, it would be, uh, the gloves would be off, I reckon, in, uh, if I had the champions. Yeah, you know, and one thing I had, one thing we had talked about at the shop is, you know, eventually, and, and maybe even, now you've seen it, and from now on, it may turn into an LS Turbo shootout exclusively, you know. And, and the only way to avoid that, you know, is to, is to not only choose the cars, but then choose a crate-style uh, combination. And, and, you know, if, if, you, if you win the shootout, you either get to choose your combination or choose your car, and then, you know, it, it flip-flops. Whoever chooses the car gets last pick of the engine, or whoever picks the engine gets the last shoot choose of the car you know so um in in order to avoid an, an all ls turbo shootout that's really the only way to do that now the flip side of that is if whoever gets the ls turbo has got the cheapest way to do it whoever ends up with the coyote or 
maybe the late model Mopar or, you know, or the bear, or, you know, then, then you've got to adjust the budget likewise to, to kind of compensate for that. So it would take a lot of logistical planning to get that right. But um, I think there is a way to do it. Uh, it's just whether or not it, it's worth all the hassle to try and make it fair. Oh, well, I mean, one of the things I, I tossed up when um, we, we got the invite back and the rules got sent through to us, um, I wanted, you know, obviously a barra, but the other one I was tossing up with because I didn't want to carry the weight, especially in a no prep. Um, I think it was a hundred pound for a for an, a, an LS, so um, a five one Windsor, and especially on no prep, you didn't have to make a, a shitload of power. No, right. So, you know, a barra or a, a five one Windsor would have been really, really competitive. And then, um, but I was trying to get the cost of a bellhousing across the line because uh, you get a late model fuel injected Windsor. Um, well, you, you, you're back in the you know the same ballpark as a, an LS um, if you if you can get the bell housing. Yeah. Well, guys, our time here is coming to an end. It's been awesome to have you both on here, and this will be the first time I get to do this. We always give I give my guests the opportunity to do their John Force impersonation, thank their sponsors, fill out where to be on social media. So. Jamie, we'll start with you. Tell the people where they can find you out, what you got going on, you know, social media, the whole deal. So the floor is yours, my friend. Well, formerly we were enemies everywhere. And um, we had a, you know, my and my brother have gone different ways. So now I've started up uh, Enemies Racing Australia where we're doing our same old products, our billet intercoolers, our uh, anti-roll bar kits. We're doing wheels now. Um, there's a whole heap of other products um, we're doing, you know, all our titanium stuff. Um, but yeah, so you can find us on uh, Facebook and Enemies Racing Australia or ERA. Um, but yeah, so we're uh, yeah we're out and about. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, whatever else. Lyle, you've got a lot going on. Tell the people where they can find you and learn about your pro mod deal and you know everything else you got going on. Yeah, so anywhere on social media, uh, Lyle Barnett on Instagram, Lyle Barnett on Facebook. Um, you can follow the the new pro mod endeavor. Um, but you know, my, my key sponsor that we've kept along, uh, motion Raceworks has been with me for a while and I can't thank Doug, Andy, and, and Brian enough there. Holly EFI, uh, we use them pretty much exclusively. Um, TBM brakes, Jason Smith, one of our team members from TBM line to line, abradable powder coatings. Uh, we've got race pack and spa technique and fire aid. And, um, I've got a little, U a little YouTube channel boosted beard racing that you can go check out, which I haven't updated in a while and I plan to get better at. Um, you know, but, uh, looking forward to the, to the 2020 NHRA pro mod season with modern racing and elite motorsports. We are still seeking sponsorship if anybody's out there, <laughs> but, uh, we'll just see how it goes, man. I appreciate you having me on and Jamie, it's good to see your ugly mug from, from across the big pond. You know, I hope you get nothing done today and get pissed tonight. <laughs> By the way, Lyle, if, um, you need any help driving that pro mod, you got my number. Oh, yeah, right, right into the wall. Right? <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jamie's old ass would have a heart attack the first time he let go of the button of that thing. They don't I'd make like a pour-in wide enough to get your big ass in it anyway. Oh, boy. I'd like to experience it. <laughs> oh. All right, we'll have a little technical issue there, but – uh Guys, you know, it's, probably, it's probably your uh, your foul language uh, cutter in her coming on. Oh, Jamie's <laughs> muted. That's good. That's exactly what we needed was to mute Jamie. I can't hear him. Uh, this is great. I, I, I unmuted. I found oh. the button. Oh, God. You, I give you guys <laughs> the keys of the castle for five minutes. Lyle goes crazy. Jamie sets the thing on fire. 
that's it. I'm calling it. We're done. Thanks for coming on, guys. Look forward to seeing you at the track soon, and uh, have a very great holiday. Sounds good. Excellent. Good to see you, man. Yeah, and Merry Christmas to everybody. Yep.